Welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Tommy Miller. For more information about Legacy Church, please visit us online at www.legacychurchclm.org. I want to teach y'all how to receive a testimony. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means that his miracle can become your miracle. That means that what God did for him, he'll do for you. I heard a story the other day by a a preacher named Sean Bowles, and I can't steal the story. I wish I could because it's that good. His dad came in with his little sister, and his little sister was holding bags and bags and bags of, of clothes that they had bought while they were shopping. And he said, hey, dad. He said, what? He said, can I see those receipts? His dad was like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, let, let, let me see those receipts. He's like, why would you want to see the receipts for the things that your sister bought? He said, because I love you so, or I know that you love me so much that you would never do for one of us without doing for the other. He's like, so you want to see my receipts? He's like, yeah, I want to know how much I got coming to me. He, genuine. I mean, he wasn't trying to be malicious or, or manipulative. He just understood that the character of his father did not prefer one child over the other. He knew that if he did it for one person, that he'd do it for every person. That if his son received a gift of a family, that the rest of his children can receive that testimony and have a family of their own. Amen? Now, if you'd be so vulnerable, we, we won't talk fertility and adoption, but how many of you are missing something in your life that you're trusting the Lord to provide? Put your hand in the air. He just prophesied over you that God is able and God is willing. He just spoke that just like David, he said, I I overcame the lion and I overcame the bear. And this Goliath will be like one of those. If God did it for him, he'll absolutely do it for you. How many of you believe that and receive that? Amen. Give the Lord some praise. All right, you got a little more in you? Stand up, stretch out a little bit. All right, pat your neighbor on the back, say we're getting into the word. All right, I promise I won't take long. When we have people share testimonies, trust me, I'm not going to keep you here longer. I know you got stuff in the oven and we need to get back home. But you can go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to introduce our next sermon series to you. We're going to get in the Word. We're going to learn some things. And uh, I feel like I'm in the dark. Can we turn these lights on? Ah, now I see everybody. So listen, we're going to start a new series this week. It's called Battle Ready. Everybody say Battle Ready. My heart is to give us practical application to what it looks like to overcome in the spiritual life. Now turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and say amen when you're there. We'll start in verse 10. It's been an eventful morning already. Like, I feel like I need a rest, and then we'll come back. Like, no. Ephesians 6, verse 10, say amen when you're there. When I get to, I'll start going. All right, that's enough. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand in that evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Everybody say finally. Okay, this is fantastic. This is the last book of, excuse me, the last chapter in the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is actually one of the most glamorous books in the New Testament. How many of you read it? It's all about promise. It's all about overcoming. It's all about gifting. God talks about us being predestined to riches and wealth and all of these Uh, amazing things. And he talks about how you and I were in Christ when he was resurrected to the right hand of the Father. And he's got all of this good news. Say good news. news. But then he says, finally. Mm -hmm. He's encouraging us as a church to grow a backbone, to get some rock beneath our feet, to be able to withstand in that evil day is what he says. So this Christian life is not easy. But it's always worth it. How many of you can say amen? amen? I was telling the Caddis Church last night that, that I have prayed over and over and over as a pastor for people to come up and be able to withstand. The moment somebody faces a trial, if you choose not to endure it, you don't get the blessing that's in it. But so many people come in hot, they're on fire, they're ready to serve the Lord, and then their water bill's late. And that's enough to knock them out. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I personally think as a whole, we as modern Christians lead poorly in this area. We often give illusions of grandeur about what the Christian life looks like, and we often misrepresent our recruiting process. Military vets. Brother, imagine this, all right? This is Jordan. Stand up real quick. He's serving our country right now. Do we have anybody else that's active or veterans that we can honor today? Veteran back there, my wonderful brother-in-law, Chris. Give him a hand. Amen. Now, imagine this. I said $30,000 a year last night. I had an E5 senior airman start laughing hysterically. He's like, we made 19 grand as E9s. I said, what if they brought you in? They said, you get an M16, you get a Beretta on your right side, we'll give you full benefits, full health care for life, we're going to pay you $20,000, and you don't have to do anything. Well, what's the gun for? I don't know, just toss it in the trunk. What's the pistol for? For you to look at. My point is this, if you have a helmet, you have a sword, and you have a shield, I'd expect to fight. Am I right? So why would Paul go to the pain to take five and a half chapters of the book of Ephesians to explain what the inheritance and the sonship is, and then he takes the end of the chapter and says, finally, brethren, you need to be able to withstand. When you step into this thing, we're going to fully equip you, but by God, you better be ready to swing the sword. You with me? Now, I've watched people in here overcome some amazing things. I, I walked with Aaron and Janelle through their... Through their adoption process. So many times Aaron's called me, brother, I don't know what to do. I'm like, me neither. Let's just keep walking. Because it sucked back there, it sucks right here. Something must be awesome that's ahead, right? 
<laughs> That's a good word, right? We always want to go back. Satan has this ability to, to give us this beautiful picture of what the past was like. He took the Egyptians. They were beaten and mistreated every single day. Then they get out to the wilderness and there's no food. They're like, we want to go back to Egypt. There was food there. Did you forget that you were beaten to near death in your past on a regular basis? But somehow the moment that you're faced with trial, you want to go back? How many of you know that your answer is never behind you? Your answers always come when you choose to trudge forward. Get some rock under your feet, put your shoulder down, and push through whatever you're going through. If you and I choose to preach an unbalanced picture of the kingdom, we will be setting people up for failure. Being a Christian takes courage, it takes bravery, it takes a backbone. It's not always clean, it's not always fun, but it's always worth it. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, Paul is about to identify your problem. Paul takes time to identify your problem because your problem is a master at disguising himself. You with me? I'll be short. It's just an introduction. Try to wrap your mind around this. The first thing Paul says is we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul's giving us insight on how spiritual life works. He said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. As a matter of fact, we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How much fun does that sound like? None at all. Nobody likes to have enemies, especially ones that you can't see. But let's talk practically, okay? So if Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, what's that mean? That means something in the natural is never your actual problem. Right? You think your spouse is the one ruining your marriage, so what do you do? You retaliate. You think your kids are the one that's causing you to grow gray hair. What do you do? You retaliate. You think the people in church are the reason you don't fit in. So what do you do? You leave. Right? We take all of these, these trials, these battles, and we don't listen to the counsel of Paul when he says we battle not against flesh and blood. If you want to know your enemy, it's powers, it's principalities, it's mights, it's dominions, it's rulers of darkness of this age. And they have an operating system, they have a hierarchy, and they have an agenda. Since the beginning, all darkness wants to do is abort your mission. And they're subtly crafty about it. You ready for this? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Say do not. That means not sometimes. You don't sometimes wrestle against flesh and blood. If the battle you're going through spiritually allows you to justify treating someone carnally, you don't understand the fight. If the battle you're going through spiritually allows you to take value from your spouse, you don't understand the fight. I want to be as practical as possible about this. A lot of people, oh man, spiritual warfare is one of my least favorite things to preach on. Because everybody's got these weird 1980s doctrines about like, uh, 
the devil being behind every rock, tree, and bush, and every time we go in a room, we have to make sure it's clean and stuff like that. Listen, we're the walking presence of God. When we walk in a room, he's got to run. <laughs> we're his worst nightmare. We're his worst nightmare. But let's make this practical. Do I have any kids in here? Like that speak English? You're good. And by the way, like, you can speak Spanish. I meant like the gaga goo kind. Because you're not going to understand what I'm saying. But let's make this practical, okay? From the very beginning, you have had an enemy of your mission. You have had an enemy of your identity and your destiny. And from that moment until this moment, your journey has been opposed. Every step, every moment, everything that you've done to advance what God has called you to have in your life has had opposition. And that opposition has no mercy in him. He does not let up and be like, you saw what his wife did to him earlier, demons. Let's just take it easy today. No, they take a situation like that and they explode and you come back home madder than when you left. There is no goodness in him. There is no truth in him. They're all lies. It's all deceit. And he is not a good dude. Let's put it this way. Every rape, every murder, every abuse, every genocide had this guy at the helm. And he doesn't want you to succeed. You with me? Now, I'm making this plain so we can understand that we have authority over that guy. That we have authority over that system. That we have authority over that struggle. But if we don't understand how this system works, we won't understand how to function in it. You with me? Oh boy. So where does it say these rulers of darkness live? It says in the heavenlies. I've got an illustration for you. Just so we can make sense of this. The Bible in Genesis chapter 1 says that God separated the water from below from the water above, and he called the space between heaven. He called it heaven. In Genesis, it said God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. You with me? So you are standing in the first heaven right now, physically. The first heaven is physical. But the Bible talks about where Jesus was raised, high above every principality, power, might, and dominion, to the right hand of God. Paul referred to that as the third heaven. You with me? He said, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. He was taken into the third heaven and told things that it's not even right for a human to repeat. So if there's a first heaven, there's a third heaven, what do you suppose in between? An invisible realm of spiritual activity. And if we understand the invisible realm and what it does and what it causes, then we'll understand our position as the carriers of authority in this realm. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says that the faith is substance, right? Faith is evidence of things unseen. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God, that the things that we see were made of things that are invisible. You're like, yeah, so? Let me tell you what that means. God, when he created the earth, used his words to pull an invisible reality to a visible planet. In the beginning, God said, Hebrews 11 said that he said, he spoke that world into motion. He framed it by speaking an invisible reality and using his authority to give it permission to manifest on this planet. Okay, something amazing happened on day six, and God said these words, let them have dominion. 
When that happened, there was a transfer of authority. God relinquished his responsibility and his right to be able to pull the spiritual into the natural, and he gave it to a human. Why do you think Satan is so obsessed with you? He needs you. He needs you. He has no authority. It was stripped of him when he was tossed down here. I'll tell you what he does have is power. Do you know there's a difference? Power is the ability to do something. Authority is the permission. It's the difference between having a gun and having a badge. If somebody tells you get out of your car because they're waving a gun in your face, they're using ability, but it's illegal because power without permission is rebellion. You with me? You get it? So let me make this all make sense. As a human, you are the co-regent, the authority carrier on this planet. Nothing besides you on this planet has the authority to run this world. So there is never a moment in your entire life that you're not walking in faith. You're always agreeing with something spiritual. You get it? Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. Anxiety is faith in the wrong kingdom. The spiritual realities are looking for your natural agreement so they can be authorized to become a reality. Every thought that you think endeavors to become real. Everything that you say endeavors to become real. That's why you and I are transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Is this making sense to you? Put your hand up, it's making sense. Praise the Lord. God made humans to be in charge of his kingdom on earth. That means we as humans have authority. Satan knows that Christians will never side with him. But he also knows that if he wants something done, he has to go to the man in charge, and that's us. So rather than having a conversation with us or making a request, he has schemes, or what the Bible refers to as wiles. Why do you think Paul wants us to to be sure that we understand that when the battle starts, we know that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood? Because he knows that Satan classically disguises himself. So what's this look like? If the encouragement is to be sure that you're not fighting flesh and blood, then Paul must already know that the schemes or the wiles of the devil is to disguise himself as such. His favorite person to disguise himself as is yourself. His favorite person to disguise himself as is yourself. And it looks like this. Nobody likes me here. Right? Then he walks off. And then you think that you just thought a thought. And then you start looking around. And then because you have a perception, now you start making a case. And once you make a case, you leave. You don't know that sister so-and-so just lost her dad in a car accident. And you think she gave you a bad look because the devil just spoke. It's all your fault. He's an expert at making you think you're terrible. And if he had his way, he would never be discovered. I told the church last night, it usually takes me about a week. I go through weeks of doubt and fear and and questioning myself and my value. And then after the seventh day, I'm like, you think I get this by now? Like, son of a gun. Like, I'm not exempt from that. 
I'm awesome. Ask anybody. Especially that sexy fox right there. It's my wife, by the way, if you're visiting. Of 11 years this month. Yeah. Hang on to something like that for 11 years, you got something going on. I'm sorry. Oh, deal with this for 11 years, you got some patience. All right. We battle not against flesh and blood. Let's talk about something. Do you know sometimes bad Christian teaching can talk you out of your solution? It happens on a regular basis, right? Paul, when he talked about his flesh, he always referred to it as dead, right? He says, you were crucified, that the body of sins has been done away with. Now, what do you think the most subtle, hey, how are you? What do you think the most subtle thing for him to do in order for us to keep us fighting the wrong battle is to make us think that our flesh has the ability to resurrect, right? The church teaches you that. Paul says, we battle not against flesh and blood, and then the church teaches you, you've got to keep fighting your flesh. Sister, sorry. It's not your flesh. It's the devil disguising his voice as yours. Do you know what he does for a living? Observes. When he came into the presence of God and, and, and God asked him what he was doing, he said, I was just observing. Walking around, looking for somebody to torment. He observes. So do you know he knows every insecurity that you have? He knows every fear. He knows every doubt. He knows the last fight that you had with your spouse. He knows the things that you fear in your innermost being because he'd been watching you since you were a baby. Because he knows your destiny. So rather than believing your flesh is resurrecting, stop trying to kill it and start rebuking the right enemy. Start resisting that devil and submitting to the word of God so that he flees. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. He's looking for your agreement and he doesn't want you to know it's him. Suicide, anxiety, fear, doubt, depression, all those are deposited thoughts. Listen, nobody in the image of God, which is all of humanity, nobody made in the image of God wants to die. Nobody made in the image of God thinks they're worthless. Nobody made in the image of God thinks they have no future. Nobody made in the image of God is nihilistic in their approach to life. They know they're here. They know they're here for a reason. It's selfless. It's professional. It's, it's agenda-driven. It, it, we're here because he called us, because he loved us, because he gave us his identity, his authority, and his ability to step into what he called us to. And nobody made in his image sits around going, I just want to kill myself. But somebody that's terrified of what you're going to accomplish on this planet gets in your ear and says, you just want to kill yourself. Then you're not on his radar anymore. You got me? That's how he works. I'm almost done. I'm going to finish quick. It's 11.15. All right. We're not going to get into the armor this week. I want to mention one thing. He says two things. Okay? He says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and put on the full armor of God. Those are two separate commands. 
when facing spiritual warfare. That means that you need to be concerned about the identity of the man before the strength of the armor. I actually had a sword. Where's Brandon? Brandon bought me this beautiful sword as a gift. And I was going to bring it in. I was going to have Tucker go to battle with somebody with it. Right? Things like 20 pounds. But think about it. I know it's comical, but most of us are trying to do that. Most of us are trying to swing a sword when we haven't come to grips with our own identity. Most of us are trying to wear armor that we can't even run in because we don't know that we're the fullness and the strength of God embodied. Victory comes first before a weapon is placed in your hand or armor is placed on your body. Victory comes first from a revelation of your identity. I'm going to cover one thing in Ephesians 1. It will roll right into verse 2 and you can turn there with me. One of the things that God gives us the ability to do is simultaneously exist in two realms at once. Do you know that to be true? The Bible said that Christ is in us here in our natural bodies. But the Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. That means we have the ability to know the will of heaven and we have the the authority to manifest it on earth. It's the perfect position for a human to be in. Spiritually minded with earthly kingdom authority. So in Ephesians 1, do you remember what our battle's against, right? Principalities, powers, mights, dominions, and hosts of spiritual wickedness and rulers of darkness. Dudes don't sound very nice, right? But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 says this. He raised Jesus from the dead. And he seated him as right hand in heavenly places. Far above, ready? Every principality, every power, every might, and every dominion, and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in our age that's to come. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave the authority over to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells all in all. What did we just see happen? We just saw Jesus killed buried and resurrected and as he was ascending he put his head his foot on the principalities powers mights and dominions and now the highest part of hell is under the lowest part of him and then it says he took this authority and he handed it over to his body his hands and feet raise your hands if you're his hands and feet that means the head of the enemy is under your foot so next time he lies you just got to remind him who he is because your identity guarantees your victory Before you put on any army, before you put on a helmet, before you grab a sword, who you are defeats who he is because of your position in Christ. Ephesians 2 says, and you, say me, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This has everything to do 
with the identity that he purchased for you to have when you're in him and nothing to do with your natural ability. That means everybody in him is an overcomer. Amen. Stand to your feet with me. When Moses asked God what his name was, he said, I'm going to go to Pharaoh, but who do I say sent me? He said, tell him that I am sent you. He said, what's your name? He said, I am that I am. Quit confusing me. Give me something. His name meant that he wasn't dependent on anything else for his character. He just is. He wasn't dependent on anything else for his identity. He just is. Now, Paul said something revelatory in the New Testament if we understand who God is. Paul said, I am who I am by the grace of God. Meaning that God's grace has imparted his identity to him that Paul could say and be truthful, I am as I am. Make sense to you? First John 4 says, we are as he is. Colossians 2 said, let no one deceive you through trickery and empty deceit and philosophies and, and the traditions of men. He said, in, in Christ dwelled the fullness of God. And you are complete in him, meaning the fullness of God dwells in you. If it was true of Christ, it's true of you. Because he's in us and we're in him. I believe we're being led this morning to get rid of some stuff. How many of you want to get rid of some stuff? I believe there are people in here that have been fighting battles for years that have been fighting flesh and blood. Satan has ransacked your family, your destiny, your mind. He's taken every ounce of brightness out of your day and you think it's something natural. You keep coming up with new ways to treat it, new ways to fix it, new habits to implement in your life, new hobbies, new things, and, and you're always looking for a natural solution to a supernatural problem. Listen, this morning we're going to call it for what it is and we're going to break it off you so you can live. Anytime somebody was ill in the New Testament, they'd cast out sickness. And if the sickness didn't leave, they'd cast out the spirit of infirmity. I was in a meeting with Robbie Dawkins. And I'm not trying to be weird, but I watched it happen. I saw a line of, I'd say, 15 people getting injuries prayed for. And this woman who had a shoulder injury, they prayed for the shoulder injury. And the shoulder injury left and she, she went down because her back started hurting. They prayed for her back and her knees started hurting. And, and Robbie said, no, 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 that's not an injury. That's the spirit of infirmity and you've got him on the move. Tell him to leave. And he said, spirit of infirmity, I command you to leave right now in Jesus' name. And the woman was healed from head to toe. How many of you know God still heals? Come on. 